Well, good morning, guys. As Joe said, my name is Barry. I am the youth pastor here at First Baptist. Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody. Morning. How are y'all doing? Uh, for those of y'all who, like I said this morning, for those of y'all who don't know me, welcome. Glad to have y'all here. For those of y'all who do, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, when, when we get there. Uh, as I was studying this message and getting ready for this weekend, uh, it, it's been a fun week. It, it's been kind of hectic. But, but the more I read and the more I looked, brought back a lot of old memories. Uh, Jesus, this is, it, when we get there, this is going to be where Jesus is calling his first disciples. And um, it, it was funny because as I, as I read the passages, I, I really thought, what, one, of my, uh, one of my fondest memory, memories is growing up. I grew up in South Louisiana. Uh, my grandpa worked for the state, and he had a, he had a campground, that, that little RV park type of deal, right off the Mermental River in, in South Louisiana in Cameron Parish. And uh, his outdoor kitchen stood out over the Mermental River, and he was three and a half miles from the Gulf of Mexico from his, from his house. So when I was about nine years old, I borrowed $20 from my dad and bought a, uh, a case of pogie bait which is some fish, and I opened up a crabbing business. And uh, so I, I crabbed all summer long, and I saved up money, and I bought my first boat, right? I, I love fishing. I love being on the water. And, uh, and I can remember as a kid buying that boat. It's a 12-foot flat with a 9.9 with a little tiller handle on it. And at nine years old, I was free. Like, I could launch that boat. I've always been kind of a bigger kid, so I could launch that boat without a ramp or a boat, uh, without a truck. I could put the motor on the back of it, and I would spend every day of my summer fishing. Like, I'd get in the boat, I'd go, I'd spend all day at the mouth of the, Miss, uh, the, mouth of the Gulf of Mexico from the Mermental River fishing. And I was supposed to be the next jockey in the family. They have pictures of me at two years old on horses, because my family was also into thoroughbreds, and... Uh, and the racetrack, and I was supposed to be the next jockey. That's funny, I know, huh? <laughs> that summer, I gained 70 pounds because my grandma, whatever I cooked, whatever I caught, she cooked for me that night fresh. And then I ate it for breakfast the next morning and went out fishing again. It was, it was probably some of the best summers I had. Like, I, I had that boat. I was fishing, having a great time. Did that all the way up until I was 13 years old, had saved enough money uh, for trucks and everything else. So it's, it's like one of my, it's one of my favorite things to do. And, and probably one of my other favorite memories is, is taking my kids there. Like, like I can remember when my kids were little before we moved here, my grandparents uh, left us all a piece of land over there and my kids fishing in the same spot that I fished at. Like, like right off the land, there's a little corner that, that you can get flounders on. There's some, there's some specks and reds that flow through there. And it's probably some of my favorite times. Uh, it struggles because I live in the desert now and there's, there's no water here. Uh, there, there's a story on the news a couple weeks ago, last week. Last week, this guy, this little kid at Elephant Butte caught a catfish. Did anybody else see that story? That's a nice catfish, right? Well, me and my son, Eli, were watching TV that night. And uh, he said, Dad, did you know there were catfish at Elephant Butte? I was like, no, bud, I don't. And he showed me, and we were watching the story, and he's like, I want to go fishing. I'm like, yeah, me too. Let's go. So when it warms up, me and him are going to, we're going to take a day trip and go fishing out there. But, but it's, it's cool because, like, that's, it's awesome to see my kids love some of the stuff that I love, right? 
So the fishing bug caught me early. Fast forward, 24 years old, I married my wife. Uh, I was born and raised Catholic. She was born and raised Baptist. We started going to a uh, First Baptist Lafayette. Uh, we, we get involved, and by getting involved, we were told to serve in the children's area. The, the, there was this, I swear, everybody called her grandma. She was probably in her 70s when I started going there. Sweet lady, but she'd stand out when you'd walk in the door and she'd see couples and she'd be like, hey, we need help in children's area. And she wouldn't leave you alone until you volunteered. So about every six months, me and my wife, no kids, newly married, were volunteering in children's area. And when I say volunteering, this is me volunteering. I sat on the floor and held my hands out like this and kids climbed and jumped all over me. And then when one would pass and smell really bad, I was like, Dawn, that one. And she would pick it up, go change it, and then throw it back, and it would just climb. I was a jungle gym. It worked great. I loved it. We got involved, and I got involved in RAs, uh, going, going to camp with kids and doing some other stuff. Got, got really involved in the church, just participating in the life of the church. Came the faith in Christ uh, during this process. And then one of my buddies called me, a guy named Toby Daigle. One of, one of my best friends in the world. If he called me right now and told me he needed help, I would drive to South Louisiana and help this guy. Awesome dude. Uh, when I met Toby, he, he was a lead singer for a Rossid, a rock, a rock, the acid rock band. He came to faith. We, we kind of grew up in the same circles, and he calls me one day. He said, hey, Barry, I need your help. Helpful hint. When somebody calls you and says they need help, find out what it is before you agree to it. Learn from my mistakes. Called to, Toby told me, he said, uh, I said, yeah, sure, man, what you got? And I thought it was just going hunting or fishing or needed help with his boat or something. No, hey, I'm, I'm, uh, work, I'm preaching at a, uh, we set up this, this worship event at this place called New Beginnings in Opelousas, which is about 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes north of Lafayette, and, and I need you to come preach. Excuse me? You need me to do what? Like, like I was with RAs, and I was helping that stuff, and doing all those things, but I'd never preached. And Toby called me up. He, he was going to play music. I was going to sing. And, and New Beginnings is this uh, alcohol and rehabilitation place for teenagers. Uh, so teenagers down on their luck, want to get rehab, go there. It's a great place. They run about 100, 150 kids. They're still open today. And, and I couldn't tell you, if you offered me money right now, I couldn't tell you what I preached that night. Like, it was, like, I, I can't tell you. But what I can tell you, there was about 10 kids that raised their hand to accept Christ. And I remember me and Toby gathering in a circle, praying with these kids and watching them accept Christ, and something inside of me changed. Something inside of me came alive. As much as I love to fish, as much as I love to do things, that day, everything changed for me. So this is where we are. This is Luke chapter 5. And and I want you to, before we get started here, let me give you a little breakdown on Luke. Luke, uh, he also wrote, uh, besides for writing the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts, kind of a secondary to, to, uh, to the Gospel. And he, he's known as a, as, as a doctor. He's a physician. He was a traveling partner of Paul. And he writes this in Luke chapter 1, verse 3. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning... It seems good also to me to write an orderly account for you, 
most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know of certainty everything you have been taught. It's the gospel was written for this guy named Theophilus originally to cement his faith and everything he had been taught. Luke has done his eyewitness investigation. He goes through all the process to give some security to this guy, Theopolis. So when we, when we turn to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, here we see Jesus calling his first disciples. And this is what it says. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gisineret, that's Galilee just for, which the, uh, with the people crowded around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats belonging to Simon and asked him to put off a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've, heard, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, but because you say so, I will let down the net. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both, uh, both boats so, that, so full that they began to sink. Then Simon Peter saw this. He fell at his knees. At, I'm sorry, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything. And followed him. So let me, let me ask a quick question here. How many of you own or have ever owned a boat? All right, this is going to be important later on in the story, so remember this. So, so think about this for a second. I want you to grab, grab hold of this. Jesus, he, he's been the last five chapters, have been doing miracles and healings and doing all these things around the Sea of Galilee. And everybody's talking about it. And everybody's... Saying, talking about the new, talking about the, this rabbi, and, he, and he's doing all this stuff. And they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have InstaSnap, they didn't have any of that stuff, right? They, they, it was all word of mouth. It was all word of mouth. And even, even today, some of the best advertisement is word of mouth, right? Think about this. So you're going to somewhere, you're going to a new place, and you want something. You want to find the best restaurant in town. If you're coming to Cruces and you want to find the best restaurant in town, ask Brother David. He, he knows them all, and he'll tell you the best ones, I promise. But here's the deal. When he tells me something, I take it to heart because I care about his opinion, right? Like, I can go on Yelp and read all the reviews of all these people I don't know and be like, yeah, this seems like a good restaurant. But I really don't care, right? I, I don't know these people. I'm not invested in them. They're not family. They're not friends. I don't know them. When somebody I care about gives me their opinion, I take it to heart. 
it means more to me. So when I ask Brother David, hey, Brother David, you tried this place? And he tells me no. He's like, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's, it's all right. It's not that good. I won't go there, right? If he says, yeah, they're really good to try this, it's a chance that I'm going to try that because I care, right? So, so this is what it was. Jesus is walking around. Everybody's talking about him. All the, all the, all the buzz is talking about it. Jesus walks into town, and all these people are pushing into him. All these people are coming into him. And he sits there, and he looks around, and in verse, it says, uh, the crowded around him to listen to the word of God. And in verse 2, it says this, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen. So Jesus, he has all these people around him. He looks back. He sees this boat. And, and if, you've ever, if you've ever studied or if you ever study, uh, yeah, whatever I studied, I forgot. Never mind. If you ever study uh, speaking, because I can't do it right now. Uh, <laughs> if you ever study speaking, the, water is, is kind of used as it, it, your voice reflects off of it. And it gets louder as it goes. That's why when you're fishing, you're supposed to be quiet. So he gets into the boat. He sees the boat. He uses it as a wayside pulpit. Uh, who were verse, verse, verse 3. He got into the boat, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to push out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people. Jesus sitting down on the edge of the boat, it, it, it was a sign it's how the rabbis taught in their day. It's how they spoke. They, they would sit down and teach. Jesus, having all these people push in on him, all these people crowding in on him, can't hear him. He looks down at the boat. He says, okay, we're going we're gonna to get into the boat and we're going to push back a little bit. So that way the water, will echo, the, 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 the water will echo my voice and everybody can hear me. I want you to picture that with me. Simon Simon, Peter, uh, Simon, James, and John, they're sitting there. They, they, they fished because they fished at night. They're cleaning their nets. They're tending their nets. They're, they're repairing it, getting ready for the night. They're washing their boat. I, I can just picture this. It doesn't say this, but I can picture this. As they're standing there, they're cleaning up. They're seeing Jesus walked up. Hey, that's, that's the guy we've been hearing about. And, and as the crowds come in, I can only imagine that, that the net fixing and, and the boat washing got a little slower kind of listening to Jesus. They might have even kind of creeped into their boat so that way they could have been out of the crowd and they could have got a better hear. They could have seen Jesus a little bit better, heard him a little bit better. Jesus, in, the, in that verse 3, he, he, it clearly says he got into the boat, the one belonging to Simon. Guys, you got to understand this. Jesus does everything with intentionality. It wasn't by happenstance that Jesus got into Simon's boat. From the foundations of the world, he knew on that day, at that time, he had made a divine appointment with Peter in that boat. Do you understand that? You're not catching him by surprise. There is no surprise that you would be sitting in this room on this day. We all have some divine appointments with Jesus. Whether we like it or not, we all have some divine appointments. And he does everything with intentionality. I love this. As he gets into Peter's boat and he asks him to push off and he sits down and he teaches, right? When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, 
put out into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, now I want you to, you to catch this. They're sitting there. They're, 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 he's teaching. These boats weren't just like my little 12-foot flat, right? These were work boats, about 20-foot long, about seven and a half, eight-foot wide. They were sitting in there. I can see Peter, kind of James and John kind of sitting off on the side, giving each other the look like, Jesus is in our boat. He's teaching from our boat. We got this, right? Like they, they were, I could see the excitement. I don't know the, the relationship or even if they knew that he hadn't called them to be disciples yet, but they had heard about him. They had heard the miracles. They had heard the things. And he's sitting there and they're listening to him. And then Jesus turns around and looks at him and says, hey, guys, why don't you push out in the deeper waters and let down your nets? Now, now this is the, where I can see Simon and, and them kind of draw back a little bit. Because for them, they fished at night, right? They, 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 would, they would fish all night, clean up, get ready for the next day, then take a nap, and then wake up in the evening and push out again and, and fish every night. This was their business. This is what they did for a living. It's the middle of the day. And Jesus is telling them to push out. So, so understand this. The, I, you can almost hear it in Simon's voice when he's saying this, right? Listen to it. Verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 5, verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And I read it twice, and he says this. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, now, now. in that day you learned your trade from your father. That's why Jesus was called the carpenter. Joseph, his stepfather, was a carpenter. Jesus would have spent the first 30 years of his life learning to be a carpenter. Peter, James, and John were fishermen. Their dads were fishermen. Their granddads were fishermen. Their great-granddads were fishermen. They had a family business, right? They, would, they, they had been sitting on that sea and in that place for years, for generations. And they fished every night, night after night after night. Peter looks at him, and, and you can almost hear it be like, Master, we're, we're fishermen. We know how to fish. Yeah, we didn't catch anything last night, but normally we catch stuff. Like, like you're a carpenter. Why don't you go and, um, uh, I don't know, build something and, and leave the fishing to us, right? Because think about this, guys. For those of y'all who own a boat, right, what's the cardinal rule of owning a boat? Nobody takes my boat. Right? I know that sounds, for those of y'all who've never owned a boat, that sounds kind of mean. Right? Boat stands for bust out another thousand because that's what it costs us to repair it. Okay? I'm just throwing it out there. So you can never borrow my boat. I bought that 12-foot flat at nine years old. I can still put my hands on it. I know where that boat is at. It's at my parents' house a thousand miles away. And nobody uses it. Right? It's still my boat. Like, I can go touch it if I wanted to. I know where it's at. Nobody borrows my boat without me using it. Okay? I'll, you can come with me, but you ain't taking it without me. So what do you do? What does Peter, James, and John do when Jesus says, hey, I want to borrow your boat? That's a struggle, right? Like, it's, it's Jesus, but it's my boat. Like, 
right? You let Jesus borrow the boat. Jesus trumps boat. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> so he looks at him, and he says, all right, let down your nets. And, and Peter's like, no, you go build something. I'll, I'll fish. But because you say so, I will. And you've got to realize this. When I fish, it's for fun, right? I fish. It's a rod and a reel. You throw it out there. You crank it, and, and it comes back, right? When, when these guys are fishing for their business, it's nets. My, my, I've done this a couple times. More than a couple times. My, parent, my dad still has. He has a 75-foot seine and a 150-foot seine. And what it is is this giant net you let out across the bayou or the river or the ocean or whatever. And you throw it out there. And then you let it sit for a little while. And then hand over hand, you reel it in. Just reeling it in. And when you get to a fish, you take it off and you keep going, right? They had done this all night. I don't know if you've ever worked all day and not accomplished anything. How tired are you? These boys had fished all night, hand over hand, drawing nothing but water, catching nothing but water all night. You're tired, right? Can you imagine the, 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 the sense of disappointment? Because, like, for me, it's recreation. I can go out and not catch nothing and still be happy because it was a good day of fishing. If these guys didn't catch anything, they didn't eat. There was no money coming home for the family. Their family didn't eat that day. Nothing. They spent all morning fixing nets, trying to get everything ready. Then all of a sudden, this rabbi shows up, push out, drop your nets. And like, Not again. Not again. You're a carpenter. And he says, because you say so. And this is the best part of all. And... And actually, there, there, there's actually some debate about verse 6 on. And the debate is whether Jesus knew exactly, the miracle was whether Jesus knew exactly where the fish were and had him drop the net there, or Jesus put the fish in the net. There's a debate over that. You want to know a little secret? You want to know a theological secret? It doesn't matter. Jesus did it. I don't care. It's Jesus gets the glory. So there's a debate over this. And so they bring in the nets. And I love this. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets begin to break. Like I said, I've done this before. I've hauled in nets. And you know on that first tug whether you're bringing in fish or not. Right? For me in South Louisiana, it was that first tug on whether or not I was going to bring in an alligator or, or a garfish. And I was going to try to get bit that day because I was the one that had to unhook them. But, like, because you feel it. When you bring it in, that, that pull back. I can see Simon and their faces as they grab that net and pull that first hug and expecting it to be water and be like, mm. And I could just see the looks that they're giving each other. And I don't know this. The Bible doesn't say this. This is just what I know about Jesus. I guarantee you at this point, Jesus was not still sitting on the edge of the boat teaching. Jesus, being Jesus, he was in there helping. But I know there had to be a smirk on his face, right? There had to be a smirk on Jesus' face like, yeah, ye of little faith, wait until you fall in the water after a while and you try to walk on it. Right? Like, you could just see it. I could see Jesus saying that, Right? Like, I can see that smile on his face, and Simon and Peter giving these little sideways looks like, what? They get the fish in. They have to phone a friend for help because their boat's sinking. That boat starts to sink, right? And then you come to this place 
right here in verse 8, where when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. In verse 5, you see Simon looking at Jesus and calling him master. It's a sign of respect. It's Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. It's like, call, it's like we say sir to somebody. It's just a sign of respect. You get down to verse 9. Verse 8, I'm sorry. You get to verse 8. And here he's gone from calling him master to kneeling in front of him, grasping him and saying, go away from me, Lord. I know you're God and I am so sinful that I don't want to be in your presence. Have you ever recognized your sinfulness? If you have never came to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you must come to a place where you recognize your sinfulness. Whatever that looks like for you, whether it is falling on your knees and asking for forgiveness or putting your hands in your face and saying, Lord, forgive me. But to come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you must recognize your sin. You know, it, it would be awesome if the story would stop there, right? Simon, Simon laying at Jesus' feet, asking him to go away from him because he's recognized his sinfulness. Jesus then looks at him and says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Isn't it awesome that you are not defined by your past mistakes? Simon Peter, knowing everything he is, everything he's done, he knows his heart. He knows the lies he's said about how many fish he's caught, right? He's a fisherman. If you know a fisherman, you know a liar. They, they exaggerate. It's just what they do. You realize that Simon, at this point in life, as he's drawing away from Jesus, and Jesus is pushing into him, is no longer defined by his past mistakes. You need to stop letting those mistakes keep you from doing what Jesus has called you to do. Each and every one of us has a divine appointment with Christ. And half the time, we draw back and we pull away because of our past mistakes and the things that we've done and the things that we've said and the things that we're going to do because we cannot be good enough. We want to, we want to, I've done this, I know this. We, we've, we've drawn into Jesus and said, no, you cannot see me this way. I'm going to pull back. I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to get a haircut. I'm going to shave. And then once I get my life together, I'm going to come to you, Jesus, and you'll accept me. And Jesus says, stop being afraid. Because at some point, our lives, in our sinful state, we are comfortable and we know it. And if we're called to more, we are afraid to be more than what we are. We are afraid to say, I'm all in. We're afraid to throw our hands down and say, I can't do it on my own, God. I need you. I love this. Verse 11, he says this. He says, so they pulled their boats on shore. 
left everything and followed him. They had probably just had the best night of fishing they had ever had. They caught more in this one day than they would have in a month. Their boats were sinking. Their families were going to eat good. They were going to sell, and they were going to be able to put some money in savings for the next time they didn't catch anything. Peter, James, and John were ecstatic, right? They were pumped. They had money in the bank. They had food on the table. Their family was going to live. And I love this. They pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. We know from Scripture that Peter had a wife and a mother-in-law. Because you can see in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus comes and heals her. So he left his family. He left his generational business to follow Jesus. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your money, and so much of your work. I want you. As the worship team comes up. What is Christ calling you to? Is it that you've never accepted him as Lord and Savior because you're still trying to get your life cleaned up? I had a student one time tell me, well, I want to give my life to Christ, but I haven't messed up my life enough to give it to him. (laughs) Yeah, that was the same response I had. (laughs) But we all have our hang-ups on why we don't. Is it that you've never given your life to Jesus? Or is it that you have given your life to Jesus and the sins in your life that you have committed are keeping you from doing what he's called you to do? He wants you to let go of everything you hold so tightly and give it to him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship you. Father, thank you for calling us to be so much more than what we are. That you love us enough not to leave us in our sinfulness, but to push into us and love us and care for us. Father, there's someone in this room today that does not know you as Lord and Savior. Let today be today, the day that they recognize their sin and draw us close to you. For those of us who live and identify by our past mistakes, help us to be called to you that we are forgiven and you love us. In Jesus' name we pray.